Warning, this podcast features graphic content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello again, Nightmare Society. Just a few updates. I've noticed and forgotten that my current distribution membership allows for 100 episodes. We're currently at 139, so I went back through and noticed the first 39-ish episodes are no longer available, at least on some platforms. We do still have them up on YouTube, so if you're looking for an earlier episode, check there. Also, I've begun releasing compilation episodes on YouTube starting from episode 1. I think I'm up into the high 20s now. Each of these compilations consists of 3 to 5 episodes and usually run about an hour long. For those of you who are Patreon members, I'm releasing the podcast slash mp3 whatever it is on there as well so you can find that in your personal feed on the app or on the website. Speaking of Patreon, I'd like to thank our newest member, Rebecca B., for joining the online campfire. Welcome, Rebecca. We're very glad to have you. Let's also thank tonight's contributors, user Dear Zabby, user SafeSpot, VII, I have no idea what Roman numeral that is, Uh, user Kigu, user Alternate, and user The Zen It, uh, wait user the zenith of zero (laughs) if you enjoy the podcast make sure to share us with your friends on your social media leave us a good review whatever you feel is appropriate now get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of the nightmare society up to Glacier National Park every year. I live in Colorado when this story happened, and I was headed south through Idaho after I had visited Montana. My car broke down in Salmon, Idaho, and a nice man helped me out. I was headed through the mountains to Boise to visit a friend. It was about a five-hour drive before I entered the truly mountainous section of Idaho. I saw a hot spring on the side of this two-lane highway along the Salmon River, and I decided to take a dip after the stress of having my car break down. The hot spring had a bathhouse up at the top near the road, and a wheelchair ramp that went down to the area near the springs. People had created little bath-shaped sections in the river that were separated by river stones. Actually, you could sit in a spot that was shaped like a hot tub, so that it held water from the hot springs while the river rushed over it. I got out of my car and headed down to the hot spring. I took my dog with me. It was twilight. 
About every half an hour, a car passed by. Knowing that I was alone, essentially, I took off my top. I was sitting in the hot spring and actually took a photo of a car approaching. The car pulled up next to mine, in front of the bathhouse. It was a truck, with three men in it. Seamlessly, one man got out of the driver's side and two men got out of the passenger side. They moved without qualms and were covered in heavy black gear. They looked like hunters. I couldn't see the expressions on their faces. The driver headed down the wheelchair ramp towards me, not hesitating. He took big, long strides. I recognized that there was danger. The two passengers from the other side of the car headed down the steep bank along the wheelchair ramp, taking a shortcut. I was stuck between both parties. Hastening, I hid and dressed myself under the water while my dog growled. He never growls. I've only heard him growl all of twice in my life, and this was the second time. The driver kept on walking towards me. He walked out onto the rocks into the river, continuously walking towards me even though he was covered in heavy gear that could get him waterlogged if he fell in the river. The other two passengers from the side of the car were also walking out onto the rocks directly in front of me. The driver got so close that I had to grab my dog before he lashed out at the driver. I was completely freaking out. The man was walking out onto the stone so that he could reach me and was not hesitating. I still couldn't see his face. I grabbed my phone, my keys, and my clothes. I dragged my dog in between the two parties, my heart in my ears. The driver would not stop. He turned around very quickly, making an arc, coming for me still. He was still taking big strides. The passengers were walking towards me as well. I was trapped in between them. I ran up the bank, dragging my dog pretty much by his collar all the way to the car. The only way that I could get into my car without them grabbing me was by throwing my dog into the back and lunging myself into the passenger side door of my car. I threw my keys into the ignition and turned them when the men were walking up between my car and their car. I happened to hit the lock button on the door right when they walked up, before anything else happened, or before I saw their faces. I ended up throwing myself into the driver's seat, reversing my car and hightailing it out of there. I drove about 20 minutes down the road, crossed the river on a bridge, and hid my car behind a bank near other campers. It was well hidden from the main road. The campers were looking at me like, what's going on? I sat and waited. Another 10 minutes passed by, and lo and behold, the truck drove by. The hunters were looking for me. I managed to wait another half an hour, then drove up to the mountains, over Boise, and into safety. This happened nine years ago. I just ended a four-year relationship and moved into an old building in downtown Paris. I had to start all over again from scratch. I did the mistake to let my ex-girlfriend keep a lot of my furniture, kitchen cutlery, pans, coffee machine, etc. At the time, I worked as a waiter, so I could only afford a one-room apartment from a council estate building. 
It was old and barely clean, but at least I had a roof. The first two weeks nothing happened, but quickly I began to hear someone talk at night. It was mumbling. It basically said, Go. Go and die already. Already, already go and die. When I looked through the door peephole, I saw a scrawny, shirtless guy, smiling and scratching at the door with his finger. That became a thing. Every two or three nights he came and threatened me through the door, or sang songs with a childish voice. I might have opened the door and told him to screw off, but I was afraid he had a knife or something, and I couldn't see his hands while looking into the door peephole. What stunned me is that he acted totally normal when I stumbled upon him during the day, and denied being the one who does this at night. I even got mad at him, but he seemed to genuinely not understand. One day I came home with a girl I met at the bar I was working at. For some reason she left during the night and I went back to sleep. The mumbling started again, only this time I felt it really close. I opened my eyes only to witness the scrawny neighbor headbutting the wall and singing what sounded like a mix between religious chants and a lullaby on slow-mo. I honestly was paralyzed by fear. I tried to communicate with him, but he was just grinning and ended up exiting my apartment by himself. I decided to call the police that night. They took him alright, but he went straight to a psych ward. Actually, this guy had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and put in a psychiatric hospital. He wasn't supposed to be living at his place anymore. He had just run from the hospital two months ago, and they only signaled it without investigations from the police. He initially got sent to the psych ward after bashing a shovel onto a postman's head, putting him in a coma. He did that for absolutely no reason. I never saw him again, and I moved out two years after that. I grew up in a small beach town on the east coast. It had that cliche suburbia vibe, complete with book clubs and block parties. My sister and I were close friends with our neighbors as well, as they had a daughter, Kristen, around our age. A lot of time was spent playing together in our shared yards at the beach down the street and our nearby park. It had been one summer day that my mom and Kristen's mom decided to take us to this particular park. And as per usual, as soon as we arrived, Kristen, my sister, and I raced to the swing set to claim our seats. Our moms had followed us leisurely behind, looking ahead to see if they could snag a spot in the shade. Once they picked a picnic table, they sat down and set up. They chatted and got some snacks ready for us, occasionally glancing over to make sure we hadn't fallen off the swings. The afternoon was going well, everyone having fun and enjoying the weather when Kristen's mom pointed across to where we were playing. 
There, instead of just three kids swinging, there were four. Kristen's mom says, seems like the girls made a friend. She smiled as they looked over to the other little girl who had joined us. An older woman, possibly her mother, was standing off to the side as well. My mom nodded, thinking nothing of it. It was completely normal for kids to make friends at the park, and especially in an area so friendly. Besides, she found it likely that the older woman was with her, and would be able to help if anything happened. They proceeded to talk for a little bit longer before my mom thought to look over again to check up on us. When she glanced over to the swings, she saw Kristen. She saw my sister, but she no longer saw me. She stared for one more second as it sunk in and realized the older woman was also not there. Panic washed over her and she immediately alerted Kristen's mom. They rushed over, hoping I was just hiding behind the slide. My mom's eyes scanned over the playground, frantically trying to find me. She recalls Kristen's mom taking the other two girls by the hand, attempting to ask them what happened. But before either of them were able to offer any information, her eyes locked on me. The older woman had taken me by the hand and was leading me off the playground, out of the gate, and into the parking lot. My mom began to run after her, not explaining a word, just yelling for her to stop. The woman did not pause, did not even turn around to acknowledge my mom's screams until she was close enough to reach out and grab my one free hand. My mom immediately began to curse and question what the hell she was doing with me. The older woman began to explain how this was a misunderstanding. That she was only just walking me to the baseball field that was right across the street. Of course, this answer was completely unacceptable, and my mom was making this clear. As Kristen's mom was quickly behind catching up, coming in to aid wherever she could. It appeared that when the older woman noticed Kristen's mom was there as a backup, she let go of my hand and began to offer some semblance of an apology before hurrying to her car and quickly pulling away. It was not until after she had already gotten down the street that my mom understood two suspicious details. One, the direction the older woman was walking me towards was her parked car and not at all the baseball field. And two, the older woman did not put a child in the car before she left, meaning she came to the playground of kids by herself. I often ask my mom why she didn't call the police at this moment, and honestly she doesn't have a good answer. She tells me that it was just a shock, and I'm sure part of it was, but I also think it could have been partially due to embarrassment. However, I hope it's not at all. There was no way she could have expected this to happen and she may have very well saved my life at that moment, and I try to make that as clear to her as I can. While I'm into my 20s now and this happened when I was a toddler, I still think about it from time to time, at least this recounted version my mom tells. And it's an incredibly scary idea to think that if she wouldn't have seen me in time, I could possibly have a completely different path in life. I hope this woman never actually got the chance to take any kids who didn't know her, and if this old lady is still out there, let's not meet.
thanks to the Clark After Dark podcast for sponsoring today's episode. If you're like me, you blow through your true crime podcasts and are always in the search bar looking for more. Well, I'd advise you to check out a new podcast called Clark After Dark. Husband and wife duo Teresa and Alan Clark bring you true crime tales of killer couples and their deadly deeds. Criminals, I'll have to admit, even I am not familiar with. So if you're interested in hearing some new true crime stories, make sure to head over to the Clark After Dark podcast and have a listen. This happened a long time ago. At the time, I was living alone in a first-floor apartment. My girlfriend had been sick at the time and ended up in the hospital dealing with a rare disease. She recovered fine from it, but during those weeks, my life was pretty much go to work, go to the hospital to be with her, come back to the house for dinner, and then go to bed. It was a Friday night and I was alone. So I decided to distract myself by reading and watching some videos on YouTube. Hours passed and at 3am I was in bed with my iPad in hand, almost falling asleep. Then I heard it. I knew that sound pretty well. You see, outside right in front of my bedroom door, there was a long corridor that leads directly to the kitchen. This apartment was in a building built in the 50s and the kitchen door was old and had become slightly bent. That meant whenever you turned the doorknob to open the door, it would snap out of its place with a distinct clack sound. That was the sound I had just heard. A lot of thoughts ran through my mind at that moment. Had I dreamt it in my semi-sleep state? Or maybe the sound was real, but what happened was that the doorknob internal mechanism broke, and it opened by itself. Of course, maybe someone was in my house and they had just opened the door. At this point, my heart was racing and I started considering my options. I had a broomstick next to my bed. You might ask why I had it there. And to be honest, I had it exactly because I lived alone and thought that one day I might be in a situation like this where I would need a weapon. My girlfriend even used to joke about it but I guess that my paranoia was now paying off in the most unfortunate of situations. So I decided I was going to take the stick on one hand and grab my cell phone with the other. I would open my bedroom door while calling 911, and if no one else was in the apartment, I would just apologize to the operator on the other end of the line and explain the situation. However, back in those days, my cell phone wasn't yet a smartphone, and it had this feature I found interesting even though I never used it. If you pressed on a couple of specific keys, it would start ringing like someone was calling you. It was meant to be used when you wanted to simulate you were getting a call out of a boring conversation or tough situation. Clumsily, I pressed on those keys and the phone started ringing. I quickly shut it up, but now it had become clear inside the apartment that I was awake. If someone was outside my bedroom, they certainly heard it. What was going to happen? I stopped for a few seconds to hear my surroundings. Nothing. It was dead quiet. 
I decided to continue with my plan. I dialed 911 with one hand, raised the broomstick with the other, and quickly opened the door. As soon as I did that, someone sprinted in front of me in the corridor and quickly got into the kitchen, closing the door behind them. I screamed, Hey! and started pursuing, but a split second later I thought, Stop! What if there's someone else in the apartment? What if another intruder sneaks up on you from behind? In front of me was the corridor to the kitchen, but on my left was another corridor that led to the living room and office. The office had the light on, so the intruder had been in there, but I didn't know if he had company. I took a step back into the entrance of my room so that I wouldn't be caught off guard. Sir, are you there? The 911 operator was calling me on the phone. I quickly explained to him what was happening, gave him my address, and he told me the police were on its way. They had a patrol car nearby, so I should just wait. Then he hung up. The apartment was dead silent. I was terrified. There were only three things I had been able to notice in the intruder. He had a light-colored sweatshirt with horizontal black lines, dark hair, and he smelled really bad. In fact, the smell was still in the apartment, and I could still sense it. The police arrived after seven or eight minutes, which felt like ages. The apartment door was next to the bedroom, so I managed to quickly approach it and unlock the door to let them in. I explained what had happened to the police and they said that we should go through the entire apartment and check every single hiding place. They had seen situations before where a burglar had hidden himself for a long period, even after the house owners had called the police to later attack them. The apartment wasn't that big so it was easy to conclude that no one else was hiding there. In the kitchen, it was obvious what happened. It had these large windows that faced the back of the building, where we had a small community garden. I had left one of the windows open, and next to it on the outside, there was a large drain pipe along the wall. The intruder had used that pipe to climb into my window and get in. The police left to go look around the neighborhood for someone matching the description of the sweatshirt I described. While they were gone, I could still smell that horrible odor the intruder had left in the apartment. After around 20 minutes, they came back. They couldn't find anyone. The burglar was long gone. Luckily, he didn't have the chance to steal anything while he was in my apartment. But the audacity. I mean, he must have seen the light on in my bedroom through the edges of the door, and he still tried walking past it to steal something from the office. I didn't sleep that night, not at all. In the morning I went to the garden in the back to try to find any further clues about the intruder, but I couldn't find anything. A neighbor in the building next door was at the window and I called out to her. I told her what happened. She just smiled and said, Well, welcome to the neighborhood. We all have stories like that in this place. You should never ever leave your windows open and maybe you should consider getting some bars to protect them. The next day, I bought a motion alarm and installed it in the kitchen. I never had another experience like that in the apartment, but to be honest, I never slept the same way in that bedroom, traumatized by those events. At night, I would fear hearing again the sound of the kitchen door snapping out of its place. A few years later, I moved out to a larger apartment in another neighborhood. 
This time it was on a seventh floor, so much harder for intruders to get in through the windows. So to the intruder who came into my apartment and smelled really bad, let's not ever meet again. Personally, the last half of 2017 was pretty exhausting. The most draining part, both emotionally, physically, and financially, has been the laborious task of moving my father into an aged care facility. Due to his rapidly advancing dementia, he lives in Tasmania, where I grew up. I am currently living and working in Brisbane, which is about 2,500 kilometers. 1500 miles for you Imperials, to the north of Tasmania. I've been making the three and a half hour flight down to Tasmania about twice a month to sort out my dad's situation. I've been busying myself by fixing up his empty, dilapidated home in order to get it ready to be sold. I moved out all of his furniture and belongings, save for a pile of blankets and pillows that I turn into a makeshift bed on the floor while I'm visiting. The house is situated in a semi-rural area, surrounded by overgrown trees and bushes. It's an old house. It's damp. Everything creaks, and there is currently no electricity, which makes the nighttime very creepy. The house itself is not very secure. No alarm system. The doors have locks, but a forceful nudge will pop the door open. I flew in on Christmas Eve in the late evening, picked up my hire car to make an hour-long drive down to the house. I stopped at a mate's place who lives about ten minutes from my dad's place to have a few beers and catch up on everything that's been going on on the year that's passed. After a couple of hours, I realized that I probably suppressed the legal blood alcohol limit to drive. My mate's legendary wife dropped me off at Dad's and offered to come back in the morning to pick me up and go back to their place to get my car. A Christmas miracle. I entered my Dad's house around midnight. Inside the house was pitch black and in my sightly drunken state, I flipped the light switch and nothing happened. Oh yeah, that's right. No power. Using my phone as a light to navigate my way through the house over the creaky floorboards, I noticed that some of the tools that I had left laying around inside the house had been stolen. I sighed and accepted the fact that it was my own stupid fault for leaving them out in an unsecure house. Some kids probably noticed that no one was living there and took advantage of the situation. It was unsettling knowing that someone had been there, but I didn't bother calling the police over a hammer, a wrench, and a screwdriver that came to a grand total of about 1650. Good news was the big toolbox, which I kept locked up in the laundry cupboard, that houses my more expensive power tools was still there and intact. I studied the padlock and the space around it, and it looked pretty scratched up and dented like someone had crudely attempted to pry it open. Nice try, jerks, I said to myself aloud. 
The toolbox is very big and very heavy. Too big for one person to carry it, unless you're Andre the Giant. Exhausted, I went to one of the furnitureless bedrooms and made my makeshift bed out of the blankets and pillows. I couldn't get comfortable and it was taking me a while to drift off to sleep. As I was laying there, the only sounds I could hear over the ringing of my tinnitus was the gentle rustle of the wind through the trees. I could also hear what sounded like the unmistakable crunch of boots on the gravel driveway that went up the side of the house. I tried to listen harder, then there was a loud gong sound at something solid coming into contact with the metal railing that leads up to the back door. This makes me sit up wide-eyed while my heart rate starts to increase. Maybe it was a wallaby or a possum. I sit there as still as possible, just listening. I can hear the sound of the trees and the wind and nothing else for a few moments, and I start to calm down. This is interrupted by the pop and squeak of the back door being pushed open. Crap. I freeze, not knowing what to do. I could hear footsteps creeping through the back of the house, and I hear the laundry cupboard being opened. I was up on the other end of the hallway, but I could hear whispering. The only words I could make out were, There. Shh. And quick. I pull myself together and pull out my phone and call the police. I chat to the dispatcher while burying my head under the pillow to muffle my voice. I explained the situation to the dispatcher and she says the police are on their way. While this is happening, I can hear a chink sound of what I'm assuming was the lock of the toolbox trying to be broken. The dispatcher suggests that I lock the door in the room I'm in. I agree and as I slowly pad over across the room to the door, one of the floorboards creaks so freaking loudly. I freeze and hear dead silence from the laundry. They must have heard it. After about 30 seconds of standing still, I try to take another step and get yet another high-pitched creak, but this seems to work in my favor, because here my new house guests scatter away to the back door. I lock the bedroom door and tell the dispatcher that I think they've gone. She tells me to stay put until the police arrive, and I tell her I'm more than happy to comply. After about five minutes, the cops arrive and the dispatcher bids me farewell. The police did a search of the area and found nothing, as expected. They had tried to break open the toolbox. One of the cops asked why didn't they just use bolt cutters, freaking amateurs, and we had a little laugh. I explained to the police about how when I came home some of the tools that I left around were stolen and that the toolbox looked like it had already been attempted to be broken into. Upon hearing that, the other cops stated his theory of how events took place. They probably broke in earlier tonight before I got home, grabbed what they could, tried to open the toolbox but couldn't, and then left to go get something to open it with. While they were gone, you came home, and then they arrived back to open the toolbox. Good timing, I think to myself. I make a report, and that's that. I stayed up until sunrise and then decided to get a couple of hours of sleep until my mate's wife Lucy came to pick me up to collect my car. I ask if I can keep my tools at their place for safekeeping, to which they agree. I drove down to my dad's old folks home and had Christmas lunch with him and his new elderly buddies. 
The following day, I go to a hardware store and purchase some new, sturdier door locks. As per usual, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us over on Instagram at Nightmare Society Radio, especially for our uh, Friday Would You Rathers, which are particularly fun. And if you haven't already and are able to in your podcasting app, make sure you subscribe or follow the podcast so you get updates when we put out new episodes each Thursday. And if you're on YouTube at all, please head over to our YouTube and uh, follow us, like a video, etc., etc. We're going to work on uh, building up the YouTube channel a little bit more this year, so... You'll want to be following to see any updates as they come out. Again, thank you so much for listening, and until next time. Sweet dreams.